0: Good morning, everyone. How are you? This is Wendy Myers. Uh, you're just listening to Everyday Animals. They're a fantastic band. I love their new album, Under the Tyranny of Good Weather. Go and check that out. I'm absolutely in love with it. My name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for coming to my first Blog Talk radio show. It's also going to be a podcast soon, so check that out on iTunes. Um, I'm a health and nutrition coach. I got into, uh, really got into health and nutrition when my father died of esophageal cancer. And, um, it really kind of put things in perspective for me and really hit home to the fact that I just did not want to go that way. So I just started uh, studying furiously about nutrition, one, to help save my father when he was still alive, uh, but also to um, just, I just had never dawned on me to, to eat healthy. I thought that I ate healthy, but the more and more I studied nutrition, I realized that how, how much there is to know, and it can get really, really confusing. So that's why I wanted to uh, do my first show on why nutrition is so confusing. Um, but before we get into that, um, definitely please, please if you you like my show today, please subscribe to the show. Um, you can also check out my website. It's live110.com. And if you have any questions, um, feel free. I have a guest call-in number. It's number nine one seven eight eight nine two eight three eight. And please, if you have any questions, I want to be answering some questions live on the air after the after I'm done with my little show um additionally uh, i want to tell you a little bit about next week's show next week i'm so excited i have a woman her name is nikki moses she's actually the person that i consult with um for my health on some matters she is a nutritionist that uh does she specializes in uh, nutritional balancing science with hair mineral analysis and it's it's a, such an interesting program. I've been doing it for about a year. And it's basically a program where you completely detoxify your body from heavy metals and industrial chemicals, something I'm real big about. You're going to hear a lot of future shows about detoxification and how to do it properly and safely. And this is a program that I've been doing, and I'm detoxing heavy metals. I'm getting out aluminum of my body that causes Alzheimer's. I'm getting out uh, cadmium that eventually causes kidney disease. And it's just such an amazing program to mineralize your body and uh, detoxify it. So we're going to be talking all about that next Saturday at 3 p.m., so be sure to tune in and check that out. Um, so let's get on to the show. Why is nutrition so confusing? Um, basically, when I first started studying nutrition, I didn't know what to believe. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there with so many different opinions and books and you read one theory on nutrition that's totally proven, and then you read the exact opposite, which is also totally proven. And so I want to do this show to help, uh, help you understand why there's so much conflicting information. So a lot of questions out there are, you know, should you go paleo or go vegetarian? What's the best diet to lose weight? What supplements should you take and which brands are the best? Uh, you know, low fat used to be the buzzword, but now it's all about low carbs. And for a long time, you know, forever I have been saying don't use so much sugar, but now people are saying don't use artificial sweeteners. And now fruit has too much sugar to be healthy. I mean, it's just enough to make you absolutely bonkers. And what I've been finding in my years of study, um, that I have fallen victim to a lot of wrong ideas about diet. A lot of information out there on nutrition is misguided, it's out- outdated, and once a book's in print, it's in print forever, so it's like a lot of info can be outdated. And some information is really just outright lies. Some books I read were merely a pitch for an author's supplements or bias toward a diet that worked for that author, which is not going to work for everyone. And many diet books uh, or many books promote diets that current research show to be dangerous or unhealthy. So with so much wrong information out there, you've got to arm yourself a little bit of knowledge so that you can decipher uh, what's wrong and what's right when you read it. Now, one of the reasons that uh, nutrition is so confusing is because of the basic fact that we're all different. Um, people can dramatically improve their, their health by adopting a paleo diet. Um, I'm a big fan of the paleo diet, but that's not going to work for everyone. Some people can go without animal protein um, some people get the best results eating six small meals a day. Others swear by, you know, a warrior type diet where they only eat one large meal per day, or favor periodic fasting. Some people um, are big on being a raw foodie. Uh, other people feel best when they eat 70 to 80 percent of their diet from fat. Some eat low carb, some eat high carb, or they practice carb backloading, like a lot of athletes do. Um, Some avoid gluten, or dairy, or eggs, or soy, or nuts, or fish. You know, others eat anything all day long. Uh, I think these people are universally despised. Um, But in truth, you know, everything works. You know, there's people getting incredible results with all the above eating styles. Now, why is this? Um, It's really because we're all different. Uh, We have varying degrees of health. We have different hormone levels and metabolism we have different body composition or different body type. Uh, we have different genetic predispositions and different responses to foods. And we live really different lifestyles in different environments. And we also endure different stress levels. We have different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, for instance, those with a Japanese heritage or who come from a coastal people will need to eat more fish and fish oil uh, to be their healthiest. So these wide difference, differences account for so many different diets. But beyond some basic fundamentals that more or less everyone can agree on, like, you know, we need to eat whole foods and vegetables are good, blindly following some nutrition plan, especially the more extreme variety, without listening to your own body and paying attention to how you feel, will likely lead to poor health. You want to avoid any diet that's all raw food or all protein or high carb or high protein. Or where you're only eating one food, for instance. Our bodies, they need balance and variety. So these extreme diets, they just do not support health in the long term. So take responsibility and find out what works for you. Don't want to blindly follow a book or a diet if it's not making you feel good. However, if you feel awful on a given diet, don't give up so soon, um, right in the beginning of a diet. Um, there are some exceptions where you'll be feeling bad on some diets initially. For instance, like when you start getting rid of gluten out of the diet, this is going to make you pretty much feel like crap for a bit due to withdrawals from their heroin-like effects on the brain. The uh, same goes with sugar. Usually most people feel really not feeling too hot for two to five days once they first get out sugar. Some people feel better initially on a vegetarian or vegan diet like I did, um, but this is only because their digestion is screwed up, and they don't produce enough stomach acid to digest animal protein. So, so you don't want to think that just because you initially feel great on a diet that that's really good for you too. Because what I found when I went vegetarian, I initially felt good, but that's because I didn't produce enough stomach acid. And but then eventually I started feeling you know pretty bad because I had was suffering from adrenal fatigue and some nutrient deficiencies, which is pretty much guaranteed on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Now, many that begin water or juice fasting get headaches and other symptoms due to detoxification. However, in the end, if a diet doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. You know, Forget the dogma and nutrition tribalism and move on. Now, one of the biggest factors in why nutrition is so confusing is that books are very convincing, and there's so many different books that have so many different viewpoints. But really any book can make a convincing argument for the case with research to. main writing is to convince readers of your point of view. And pretty much every book I've read on nutrition has swayed my convictions by the end of the book. You know, after reading the pH Miracle, I began drinking tons of alkaline water and eating big, huge salads every day. After reading the Atkins diet, I was eating you know 25 grams of carbs a day and began eating processed low-carb bars and pepperoni sticks and just all this horrible processed food. But hey, I didn't have carbs. Um, after reading the China study, I was just totally disgusted with meat and dairy for like, pretty much two years. Its theories are based on a 30-year study convincing us that meat and dairy may cause cancer and other diseases of Western affluence. And he pretty much says in the book, if you eat dairy and and, uh, meat, you're going to get cancer and all these other diseases. But though this study shows this correlation, there's never been a culture or tribe in the history of the world that was vegan, which vegans exclude meat and dairy from their diet. And this is because this diet, it just does not support health and reproduction in the long term. So big study or no, this theory of not eating animal protein doesn't resonate with me for this reason. Oh, and the fact that I also developed adrenal fatigue, thyroid problems, and numerous vitamin and mineral deficiencies on the diet. So they left this little problem out of the book. Um, However, another person may fare much better than I did on the vegan diet. Uh, Like I said, everyone's different. Some people are able to do the vegan diet and even the raw vegan diet. But I think those are very few and far between. After reading the paleo diet, I finally found my holy grail. I'm all about paleo. I love paleo. It just, it just makes so much sense to me. It just makes total common sense. Now, all the health problems that I developed on the vegan diet are slowly resolving on this diet. I've been paleo for about a year. And um, uh, pretty much the moral of the story is that there's no cookie-cutter diet for everyone. So avoid books telling you that this is the case. You know, don't believe everything that you read, but take bits and pieces that make sense within the context of everything else you've read. Uh, You know, it's just reality. Some books are backed by solid science, but most are not, even if they quote research studies left and right. And, you know, as we'll discuss in a minute, there's a lot of really poorly done food research out there, which contributes to the problem of why nutrition is confusing. And I hear this all the time from my clients that their doctor told them to do this or their doctor told them to do that. And what I have found, even with my own doctors who are really good doctors, um, is a lot of doctors give totally wrong nutrition advice. So I want you to question any nutrition advice you get from your doctor. You know many people trust their doctor and the medical establishment without question, and I was one of them I just held the medical establishment up on a pedestal. I just thought my doctor was God But this can be a really fatal mistake and it's a mistake my father made as well um, By listening to his physicians um, at, at all costs Now physicians are wonderful. They're trained in diagnosing disease and prescribing medications And this is a wonderful, valuable contribution to help when you're sick. But what about preventing or healing with food? Some doctors, they have limited nutrition training as elective courses at medical school, but even fewer have postgraduate nutrition training. And really what's really appalling is a full one-quarter medical schools do not even offer courses on nutrition. And it seems like since health is so much determined by your diet, because your body is composed um, it's of all the foods you're eating, that's what your body is made out of. So it, it seems like since your health is so much determined by your diet that doctors would be required to learn more about nutrition. Now, I don't know. What do you think? But, you know, perhaps they are overloaded with information already. You know, maybe this job should be left to nutritionists and health coaches like myself. But I'm personally more comfortable trusting my health with a physician that knows the relationship of food and its ability to cause or heal illness. Now, granted, there are a few really gifted doctors out there who know what they're talking about when it comes to nutrition. Like Dr. Weil, for instance, or Dr. Hyman, um, maybe your Dr. But I've had so many of my clients with heart problems or high cholesterol, for instance, be told by their doctors to eat margarine that are full of trans fats, and trans fats cause heart disease. So, you know, I mean, trans fats have been proven since the year 2000 to contribute to heart disease and high cholesterol. But sadly, you know, a doctor may have learned a proven fact at a convention or a they had t- attended like a decade ago and continues to dispense this outdated information. So I, I, I urge you to question and research everything that your doctor advises you to do. It's something that I do, and I found that I—strange—I it's strange, I, I almost never follow my doctor's advice <laughs> when it comes to food or um, medications or treatment protocols that they prescribe. Because I, upon further research, I find that it's just—it's not right for me. Um, so it just—it just makes things very confusing. So. Another thing that makes nutrition very confusing is uh, you do not want to get your health information from the news. Um, the media can provide us with really important information, but much of the information on the health and diet that you're fed on CNN or other major news outlets and newspapers is usually wrong or false. Headlines are meant to catch your attention, but not necessarily inform and the media just it does not dare report unbiased information that would cast their advertisers, which you see all the commercials for food manufacturers and growers or pharmaceutical companies. They're not going to report things that uh, show their advertisers or their products in an unfavorable light. Therefore, a lot of what you hear in the news, it just simply can't be relied upon. Frequently, news claims are made based on a single study or a brand new study. So you can't take a new single study and report it as an absolute fact. But this is exactly what happens when a new study is dispersed on the news. People take it as a fact and they talk about all their friends and coworkers about it and they still have it in their heads as the a fact a decade or longer later. I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, I've had this happen to me and then I'm I'm proven wrong by something that I read or whatnot. But this is what the researchers and the funders of the research and the benefactors, the people that benefit from the research, they want exactly. So keep in mind that research results must be proven over and over again in study after study before they can be considered relevant. So pause and think for a minute before believing everything that you hear in the news. Because media outlets, uh, you know, they're desperate for information and they want to be able to report or you know be the first to report the latest research whether the findings are valid or not. And you know one of the main problems in food science is in food nutrition research is bad science. Nutrition science is one of the only sciences in the world where two polar opposite theories can be totally proven. Like this isn't happening in other fields of science. And this can mainly be attributed to bad science and bad food scientists. Because food science, it just doesn't have to be as rigorous as like nuclear physics, for instance. And it's also to the fact that people, including scientists, are loath to the change their stance on existing paradig- paradigms. Like, say, the calories in, calories out theory of thermodynamics that has been d- debunked as too simplistic and outdated by many. Now you may have heard of Gary Tobes. He's a noted food journalist um, who began his career as a science journalist, mainly reporting about glaringly bad science research. Um, he then turned his his attention to food science because it has some of the worst scientists uh, science being conducted of all the sciences. So it's a lot of science. <laughs> so he found that food science just doesn't have the rigorous checks and balances necessary. To discover reliable knowledge, and after interviewing countless scientists, he pretty much found that bad scientists never get the right answers. And there's a lot of bad scientists out there, so you can't just uh, read a science, uh, read a a scientific research paper on PubMed or get something from the news and be like, "Oh, there you go. Uh, This is a MSG is not uh, MSG is okay for you. It's generally regarded as safe." or um, any of the other, like, false information that's out there. But anyways, in the course of his investigative journalism, uh, Gary Tobes has uncovered many bogus, commonly held nutritional beliefs that began life as a result of bad science. And I absolutely agree with his findings that salt does not cause high blood pressure, um, eggs do not contribute to high cholesterol, and that low-fat diets are unhealthy. I mean, he's exhaustively researched these subjects. But most notably, he's a champion of trying to convince people that the calories-in, calories-out theory of diet is totally bogus. Um, That's a theory where, you know, women need to eat about, uh, you know, if they eat 2,000 calories a day, they've got to burn 2,000 calories a day or they're going to gain weight if they eat more than 2,000 calories. However, it doesn't exactly work that way. It's a little bit too simplistic. Um, Clearly, uh, 100 calories of Coke, is a very different metabolic and hormonal effect on your body than 100 calories of broccoli. And uh, you know, when you eat, uh, when you you know, drink 100 calories of Coke, that raises your blood sugar, which raises your insulin. Insulin is the hormone that tells your body to store fat. And so, you're going to gain uh, you know more weight from that 100 calories of Coke than you would from 100 calories of broccoli, which does not have this hormonal effect on your body. So if you want to learn more about um, his research uh, and his reporting, you can read his incredibly well-researched book, Why We Get Fat, and uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories. are fantastic books. Another problem with nutrition science is its habit of measuring individual ingredients' effects on health outcomes, for instance, consumption of saturated fat causing heart disease. Which is actually more uh, accurately linked to wheat, flour, sugar, and trans fat consumption. And you may have heard of Michael Pollan. Um, he wrote a book. Um, what's the name of his book? It's called Food Rules. Um, he does a really persuasive takedown of what's called nutritionism, that's what he calls it, uh, which he defines as an ideology built around the widely shared but unexamined assumption that the key to understand and understanding food is indeed the nutrient. So this approach involves, you know, breaking food, whole foods apart, you know, until like a chicken breast is nothing but an assemblage of different nutrients, vitamins, minerals, fats, and proteins. And Now, these individual components are studied for their effects on health, but this is not how food works in the body. Uh, nutrients work in synergistic ways, you know, many nutrients, of which we haven't even yet discovered. So nutritionism all too often depends upon shoddy science and ends up causing Americans to indulge in poor diets. So why does nutritionism, uh, nutritionism endure? Uh, Paulin blames the scientific process. Um, he says, quote, because a nutrient bias is built into the way science is done, scientists need individual variables that they can isolate. Yet even the simplest food is a hopelessly complex thing to study. Uh, It's a virtual wilderness of chemical compounds, many of which exist in complex and dynamic relation to one another, and all of which together are in the process of changing from one state to another. So if you're a nutritional scientist, you do the only thing that you can do given the tools at your disposal. Break the thing down into its component parts, study those one by one, even if that means ignoring complex interactions and in contexts, as well as the fact that the whole may be more than or just different from the sum of its parts. So this is what we mean by reductionist scientists. Now, he goes on to say that scientific reductionism is an undeniably powerful tool, um, but it can, be, it can mis- mislead us too, especially when applied to something as complex on the one side of food and on the other a human eater. It encourages us to take a mechanistic view of that transaction, put in this nutrient, get out that physiological result. So needless to say, Pollen takes issue with this reductionist approach and shows in study after study in his book that nutrient-based nutrition is bad science. It's akin to uh, like studying the vitamin E and saying, oh, vitamin E is not good for heart health. Um, but it's just not that simple. You just can't take this one nutrient and study its effects on people and whether or not they get a heart disease. It just, it's just too simplistic. Um, the reduction in scientists relies on medical oversimplifications and faulty longitudinal studies. And it really has helped to create a food industry that's making us fatter, sicker, and less satisfied with our food. So, for those of you that are interested in the shoddiness of nutritionism, you might want to check out his amazing book, uh, Food Rules, by Michael Pollan. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, research methods. Um, This is, you know, kind of boring, but it's very important to touch on because it's one of the main reasons why nutrition is so confusing. Now, there's lots of different research methods, you know, obviously with some being far superior to others. And no study is perfect, you know, the, and the evaluations of results must take into account the design and execution of the study together with the analytical methods used. Now, I'm going to mention a few methods and their weaknesses to illustrate how poorly most diet research is conducted and why incorrect results and conclusions are the norm, leaving nutrition buffs like yourselves and dieters very, very confused. The first one I'm going to go over is epidemiological studies. Uh, These studies compare populations of people who are alike except for one factor, such as exposure to a food and the presence of a health effect like cancer. Now, these investigators try to determine if any factor is associated with this health effect like cancer. Uh, These studies of diet, though they provide a valuable tool for the investigation of the causes of disease, They're fraught with difficulty and frequently subject to mistaken interpretation. Some of the problems that can cause epidemiological research results to be wrong include um, the the data collected, the accuracy of the information, um, the endpoint definition that they're trying to, to conclude, the study size, and the way the results are interpreted and presented. So there's a lot of critics of epidemiology and its usefulness in research. Some say epidemiology is totally bogus, but does have some value. Um, It does seem to be good for hypothesis generation, but many believe that it's almost worthless for finding the truth. Adding to these problems, many researchers researchers take the freedom to selectively uh, reference only research which supports their cause, rather than the totality, totality of the evidence. So I'm getting tongue twisted. Um, so, for instance, let's, let's take a study like the China study. It's a, a lot of controversy surrounding this, and it's a book that I read that uh, really convinced me to stop eating meat and dairy. Um, but I, frankly, you know, after I started having health problems on the diet, I felt a little bit bamboozled. And I'm like, if this study is so great, if this study is so, like, if it's just so uh, – scientifically done, and there's so much proof for it, then why am I not healthy on this diet? And so I'm going to explain a little bit about that. Now, this study, the China study, it urges you to stop eating all animal protein and go vegan, and um, it's an epidemiological study. However, such studies alone do not prove causation, but merely correlation. This means the China study can only conclude that there's merely a correlation between eating meat and dairy and getting cancer and other diseases. And this doesn't really mean a whole lot. It just pretty much means nothing because there's also a strong correlation between heart attacks and how many televisions one owns. Um, The more televisions, the greater the chance of heart attacks. So a correlation is not exactly strong evidence that one causes the other. And there's something called confounding variables. These are variables in research that screw up the results of the research. So there's a lot of many uh, confounding uh, confounding variables that can cause epidemiological studies results to be wrong. For instance, the China study concluded that populations that eat meat and dairy have higher rates of cancer. However, these same urban populations also consume large amounts of flour and sugar that are other known contributors to cancer, you know, as cancer feeds on insulin and sugar. So it can't be reliably concluded that meat and dairy, in and of themselves, cause cancer from this study. Um, You know, I mean, unless these studies are evaluated and interpreted interpreted with care, they can result in more harm than good. Because, you know, dairy we can definitely live without. I'm in agreement on that. Um, But I believe that telling people they must essentially go vegan by not eating meat, or that they're going to get cancer and other diseases, it simply defies logic and common sense. It completely ignores nutritional needs of humans because we need cholesterol and we need animal protein in our diet to be mentally and physically healthy, though in limited amounts, Uh, not usually the amounts that most people are eating. I mean, we need iron, B12, and zinc, um, most frequently found in red meat, we need animal protein to make our hormones in our body. They're the chemical messengers that tell our different body parts what to do. We need them to make the synthesize the neurotransmitters in our brain like dopamine and other feel good transmitters like uh, serotonin. Um, there I mean there's just countless populations in history that survived solely on meat or had it as the main staple of their diet and suffered almost no diseases of any kind. And you can see this clearly in the work of Weston A. Price. Um, he studied all kinds of uh, populations that had been totally untouched by unprocessed food, untouched by civilization. They just were eating their native diets. All of them ate meat. And he was actually really disappointed because he set out um, trying to find vegetarian populations. He really wanted to find some populations anywhere on the earth that were vegetarian and thriving uh, or, but he just didn't. There wasn't one population on the earth that was vegetarian. And there's a reason for this. Um, vegetarians, I think people, if they're smart about it and educated, they can be healthy. as vegetarians. So don't get me wrong. But the vegans, um, I have a problem with that. I, I just don't think people can physiologically be healthy eating a vegan diet. I think people can survive and then they can get by, but they, they can't optimally be healthy. So I'm not going to take advice from a single study like the China study, uh, albeit um, though it's seemingly good. It's a big, long 30-year study. But I, I can't take the advice from this study given our several million-year history as you know, meat-gorging humanoids. We've been eating meat for millions of years. So it just, it just seems strange to me that all of a sudden in the 21st century, it's not healthy to eat meat anymore. It just, it just defies common sense. And there's even a new study that came out, and there's many, many studies that confirm this as well, that uh, they just wanted to test the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. And the most nutrient-dense foods are animal organ meats. After that come um, the animal muscle meats. After that come um, the vegetables and fruits. Then after that are the flours and sugar that have almost no nutritive value. So um, meat's incredibly nutritious, and that's why we need it to, to be optimally healthy. And for me personally, I want to do the diet that's going to make me optimally healthy. I want to live a really long time, and I personally believe that doing a paleo diet and eating meat is the key to longevity. Now, um, it's also been, it should also be noted that um, heart attacks, cancer, et cetera, were pretty much almost unheard of prior to 1900, not nearly approaching the numbers that we see today. You know, in the United States, and the last consensus data was in uh, 2002, um, where 500,000 Americans died of heart disease. Um, But in 1900, prior to 1900, meat consumption was lower than it is today. So this uptick in the diseases of Western affluence, like heart disease and cancer, it directly correlates to our progressively increasing consumption of factory farm meats, which are definitely um, have toxins and carcinogens in them, are not healthy. And it also um, relates to our increasing consumption of flour, sugar, industrial chemicals, heavy metals, toxic medications, and food additives since the 1900s. And we've just been uh, consuming these foods I mean, just in epic amounts since 1900. So it's really impossible for epidemiological studies like the Chinese China study to take all these confounding factors into account that can muddy up the results. Now, I also want to talk that about double-blind studies. Uh, the gold double-blind studies are the gold standard of studies. Um, It it produces the most reliable results, but cannot be used in most nutrition research. For example, in a double-blind study protocols, individuals are given either a placebo or a drug treatment. It's very common in pharmaceutical studies. The test subjects and the administering physicians are unaware of which subjects receive which, which is why it's called double-blind. Now, these aspects of double-blind studies are essentially impossible in food research, you know, except for isolating minor nutrients, like, for instance, the effects of vitamin E, because people are, they're aware of what they're eating. You can't feed someone meat and try to figure out if that causes cancer in a double-blind study, because people know that they're eating meat. So, diet studies are almost never done under such uh, really controlled, rigorous conditions. They're often uh, done under uh, as retrospective or prospective studies. Now, in retrospective studies, the investigators ask a group of people about dietary intakes for some period of time in the past. And then they look for correlations between these intakes and their current health. So already we have our first problem. Uh, people's recollections of what they ate is uniformly untrustworthy and rendering such studies almost worthless, but not totally. Perspective studies of diets are less common due to their expense. They cost millions of dollars, but the results are more trustworthy than retrospective studies. Perspective studies find the relationship over time between characteristics, for instance, dairy consumption, shared by some members of a group, uh, say, paramenopausal females, and a health condition, like breast cancer. The researchers follow the population group over a period of time, noting the rate at which a condition such as breast cancer occurs in the dairy consumers and then in the subjects that don't consume dairy. Now, a typical longitudinal study, uh, like retrospective and prospective studies, will look for correlations between diet and conditions. The investigators collect retrospective dietary and health information from the subjects. The investigators then comb the data. You know, they're looking for correlations between particular dietary characteristics, and particular health conditions, be they positive or negative. And then any significant correlations are then hailed as the next dietary solution to some disease, syndrome, or symptom. So you can see all the inherent problems in doing this and that um, a lot of times these, the correlations that they make are, are simply not correct and are proven many, many years later to not be correct. For instance, When uh, women were given hormone replacement therapy, they thought that initially that this reduced the rates of heart disease, but now they're finding that these initial findings are not correct and that hormone replacement therapy actually contributes to heart disease. Now, uh, a lot of problems I have with nutrition research are short-term studies. Most studies are done for a short period, like two weeks or 30 days, and therefore, they're not necessarily applicable to our health in the long term. Now, there's so many confounding variables that can screw up the results of short you know, and long-term studies. A diet study on low-fat diets, for instance, is typically only studied for a period of two weeks to a year, though so sometimes longer. But these longer studies are really rare due to expense. That's why you just don't see that many of them. And the ones that are done are just hailed as um, having the actual absolute factual knowledge is the absolute. Um, this is the absolute fact, but it's not always the case. So you see these how these uh, changes in subjects um, like when, that are on these low-fat short-term studies, and many times they'll have reduced arterial plaque or lowered cholesterol due to eating a low-fat diet. But what you don't see are the nutritional deficiencies and other health consequences. Most subjects will eventually suffer if they continue a low fat diet for extended periods of time. For instance, um, they used to think that, uh, you know, a lot of studies show that saturated fat increases cholesterol. But that's because this is shown on short term studies. Because when you eat saturated fat, which is actually absolutely a necessary part of a healthy diet, so there, there's some healthy saturated fats and some unhealthy saturated fats. So we can't lump them all into um, a unhealthy fats. But what these studies were showing is that saturated fats increase cholesterol. And they do in the short term, but over the long term, they don't have an effect on cholesterol levels and they don't, in fact, cause heart disease. Um, Another problem with what makes nutrition so confusing are animal studies. Now, many studies use animals as their test subjects and many studies, unless they pass... Um, with flying colors to show not to harm the animals, they're never done on humans. So there's actually a lot of research that isn't being done that would probably be really beneficial because in animal studies they they harm the animals, but they wouldn't harm humans. Now, the reason this is done is because of cost and the fact that many studies done on animals would be unethical or illegal to perform on humans. So people seem to automatically think that animal study results can be generalized to humans. And while this is sometimes the case, um, results in animal studies are usually not attributable to humans or duplicated in human trials. Now, obvious and subtle differences between humans and animals um, in terms of our physiology, anatomy, and metabolism make it really difficult to apply data derived from animal studies to human conditions. And uh, according to a lot of researchers, um, you just can't extrapolate the findings of a lot of prominent animal research to the kids. So be really careful when reading or hearing of animal studies and thinking that those results apply to you. uh, They need to be done on humans. And another problem, a big, big, big problem, one of the biggest problems in nutrition research is that a lot of food research is bought and paid for. Um, a majority of research done by major universities is paid for by big biotechs like Monsanto, the evilest company on the planet. They make the genetically modified seeds and a lot of pesticides, and they make the synthetic RGBH, which is uh, cow crack that's fed to cows to make, their, make them produce more milk. And so these major uh, the, this major research done at universities is also paid for by food growers and manufacturers. So not surprisingly, the results are usually favorable to their funder. And for many scientists and researchers, their work depends on pleasing um, the funder, the granting agencies, or the state legislators, legislators responsible for funding. So it's really difficult to decipher if what you're reading is real science conducted by unbiased scientists looking for honest answers. Now the food industry, it supports food research science. Uh, it, it supports food science research if it will help them reap a greater profit, not in finding if a food is healthy for you. For instance, a ton of research has been conducted on soy showing its health benefits. However, nothing can be further from the truth. Soy is unhealthy for you on so many levels. For, information, uh, or for more information, you can see the blog on my website, uh, The Little Known Dangers of Soy, on LiveTo110.com. Like Soy is one of the most profitable foods, generating billions of dollars for Big Agra, which is uh, the acronym for the, all these corporations that grow and manufacture food. Now, this is why you hear so much positive news and research about soy, not because it's healthy. Now, when I re- research studies involving specific foods or nutrients, I immediately look to see who paid for the study. Sponsorship almost invariably predicts the results of the research. David Ludwig and his colleagues uh, demonstrated this phenomenon in studies of the effects of soft drinks on childhood obesity. It's a very famous study. And uh, independent studies almost invariably invariably find an association between obesity and the consumption of soda. That's why there's been such an uproar about getting rid of sodas in schools and whatnot because they're contributing to obesity. But by contrast, industry-sponsored studies almost never show this link. Hmm, I wonder why that is, PepsiCo. Um, But in food research, as in research on drugs or cigarettes, uh, results are highly likely to favor the sponsor's interest. The companies, they're not outright buying the results, although it sometimes seems to be that way. But instead, it seems that researchers are willing, uh, researchers who are willing to accept grants from food companies, they tend to be a little bit less critical about the way they design their studies and the the results that they get. And sponsored studies tend to lack appropriately rigorous controls, and the results suffer um, as a result. Now, take research on the health benefits of pomegranates, for example. Pomegranates are fruits. uh, fruits. All fruits contain antioxidants. Yet the producer of palm, pomegranate juice, has spent millions of dollars to pay researchers to demonstrate that pomegranate juice has uh, helpful antioxidants. I mean, of course pomegranates produce antioxidant health benefits. But compared to what? You know, I have yet to see a study that compares the antioxidant effects of pomegranates to those of oranges or other antioxidant rich fruits. And I can't imagine that an independent scientist would want to bother comparing pomegranates to oranges. You know, both are worth eating. But as a rule, corporate funding discourages critical thinking or promotes uncritical thinking about the importance of individual foods or nutrients in healthful diets. Sponsored studies have only one purpose, to establish a basis for marketing claims. You know, they are not carried out to promote public health. Falsification of data is rife today in science, adding to all the problems and research mentioned above. There's really little or no consequences for scientists that falsify data. There's only a retraction in small print years later in the scientific journal in which the study was originally published. But by then, it's common knowledge in society, they don't go to bad scientist jail. Um, however, there's a lot to be gained by scientists for data or result falsification. They're celebrated for new discoveries. They receive promotions. They receive cushy tenured college positions. They get continued or increased research funding. And they get increased pay or lucrative book deals. You know, and so it's just a really, really big problem today in science. There's just too much to be gained by falsifying uh, results. So not only can research not be trusted, but there's a lot of fantastic research that is prevented from being conducted due to corporate interest. Many powerful companies simply buy up research firms that are producing unfavorable research about their products. And it's crazy. I mean, for instance, Monsanto, one of the largest producers of genetically modified seeds and pesticides, bought up a research firm that was showing that bees, you know, which are vital to food pollination and production, are dying due to neonicotinoid pesticides manufactured by Monsanto. And this is actually quite common for these uh, big companies to buy up these little research firms that are uh, pumping out bad information and PR about their products. Monsanto has even blocked research on the safety of genetically modified foods, this is exactly why there's so much confusing concerning the safety of genetically modified food. And this is no accident. Multi-billion dollar agricultural corporations, including Monsanto and Syngenta, have restricted independent research on their genetically engineered crops. They have flatly refused to provide independent scientists with seeds, or they've set restricted conditions that severely limit research options. And this is just isn't how science should operate. But given these facts, it's no surprise that these companies can claim that their GMO products are safe because there's literal there's very little evidence in research of the contrary. So be very careful about what you're hearing in the news and what you're reading in books and reading on the Internet that GMO is safe. It's not. Now, I'll just do a little side note here in supplement research um, because there's a lot of confusion about supplements as well. Um, but I want you to note that... Many natural supplements don't have research to back up health claims and are therefore dismissed as dangerous or not useful, but I wouldn't be so quick to jump to these conclusions. Um, Research studies cost millions of dollars, and the only way a company is going to do this is if they can get a lucrative patent on a substance, uh, supplement, or medication so that they can make millions of dollars being the sole holder of that patent. Many companies that sell supplements would love to prove the efficacy of their product, but can't afford the research. Some supplement manufacturers, like Metagenics, they conduct their own studies. Um, but sometimes I, I worry that they might have little biased results because they're trying to prove the the efficacy of their own product lines. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not it's unbiased or it's not unbiased. Another scenario entails a supplement getting getting a lot of attention. And the government or an independent research company paying to do the research. But this leaves the majority of supplements without scientific merit. Um, they only have anecdotal evidence or thousands of years of use, and like, say, traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, for instance. Um, but, but because a lot of supplements don't have scientific merit, this is the position many drug companies and physicians take when advising a patient to use or not use a supplement. However, just because a supplement does not have clinical research behind it doesn't mean it does not work or that it's dangerous. Many herbs and supplements have been used safely for thousands of years in traditional Chinese or Ayurvedic medicine. So do your research on the Internet, try supplements out, and make your own decision. Now, my advice, um, I say don't get worked up about a study you hear in the news. Now, just know that many headlines that are generated to produce ratings and sell magazines. Don't take diet and health advice from your doctor without doing a little bit of research. And don't take advice from the results of a brand-new research study. Wait until there's many, many studies proving the same thing, because no matter how well developed and executed, study results can be wrong, inconclusive, and even falsified. So take in everything with a healthy amount of skepticism. Remember, no matter what book you read, keep in mind that you have to eat a diet that works for you. Don't substitute anyone else's judgment for your own. I mean, it takes years of trial and error while listening to your body and its reactions to foods to figure out the best diet suited to you. For instance, the, the amount of protein that you need. Then once you get it figured out, of course, everything changes. Your needs will change due to your age Do your health status if you come down with an illness or a a chronic disease? And this is a lifelong journey. So read books with an open beginner's mind and honor the fact that nutrition science will constantly change. And just enjoy this journey that is the path to your health. Um, Because for me personally, after several failed diets, so doing the, the vegetarian diet and the vegan diet and Atkins diet and things like that, I settle on one conclusion. There are many ways to eat healthy, but you have to do the one that is sustainable for you. Now, after finding out that I had health problems on the vegetarian to vegan diet, um, I urge anyone wishing to try a new diet to get medical and nutrient testing to gauge their health before starting a diet and then revisiting the same testing six methods into the diet. Now, you can, test your, you can go nuts with this stuff. You can test your hormones vitamin levels, mineral levels, your fat profile, cholesterol, and you can do a whole heart panel, your blood sugar, uh, inflammation markers, etc., etc. et cetera. And I love this company called metametrics.com. They have amazing tests. Uh, they're just a highly recommended company. Just, you can just have your doctor uh, write your prescription for tests if uh, he doesn't have an account with them or isn't familiar with them. But go on that website and familiarize yourself with those tests because they're just they're fantastic. However, I realize medical testing is not feasible for everyone. A lot of people don't have insurance, and even if they do, they can't afford all the, the co-payments for all these tests. So I recommend learning to listen to your body. If your body is craving a food, like not flour or sugar. These are not nutritionally required. But if you're craving a food or you're dreaming about a food not on your diet, This means that you need that food nutritionally. The body is a brilliant microcomputer that urges you to eat foods that it needs nutritionally at a given moment. So I want you to really work to pay attention to that. So if you have food cravings for healthy foods that are not on your diet, if you have low energy, if you become depressed even though your your life is great, or unlike yourself mentally, uh, if you develop a chronic illness, or even if you just don't feel like you used to, do not ignore your body's cries for help. It's all too easy to attribute um, subtle changes in mood or energy levels, pain or illness to other things besides diet. Uh, additionally, many many people are f- fanatical about their diet, get stuck on the idea of a diet or the ideology or lifestyle while their body is completely falling apart, I mean, I've read about this so much um uh with people on a vegan diet or a raw food diet, and I experienced this myself. I kind of ignored my body until I just thought enough um I am just i'm I just don't have the energy I'm just my I have brain fog, and that that's what was happening when I was vegan, and so I decided to go to my doctor and figure out what was wrong and um the doctor didn't tell me this, but I was very surprised to learn. Um, and doing a little bit of research that it was, in fact, my diet that was causing all my health problems. So I, I urge you to switch gears and listen to your body. The fact of the matter is that people who eat a diet that's right for them, they're generally mentally healthy, they have a healthy weight, they have radiant eyes and skin and hair, they're free from health problems, and they get straight A's on their medical tests. The proof is in the pudding. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this clarifies any confusion that you have about nutrition. And please, anyone out there, if you have any questions, just feel free to call in and I'll, uh, in the next few minutes, and I'll answer your questions live on the air. And also, please, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the show um, on uh, blogtalkradio.com slash live to 110. And also I'm on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Wendy Live to 110. And uh, please join me next week and next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm gonna be interviewing Nikki Moses all about nutritional balancing with hair mineral analysis. It's gonna be a fantastic show. And thank you so much for joining me. I've had a great time trying to teach you about health and nutrition. You can find me Wendy Myers on live110.com. I have a weekly blog and with a video every week that I put out every Saturday. So please go there if you want to learn all about health and nutrition, detoxing, weight loss, and all kinds of other stuff, but toxins and whatnot. So thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic day.